0: Well, we're in this uh series that's been going on that we started last week called called Expectations. If you remember a little bit last week, if you were here, we just started talking about how expectations, especially when they're unmet, can get us into all kinds of trouble. And so we just decided, hey, for these first first three weeks here as your preaching minister, we're gonna talk through um just some expectations, right? So last week I gave you some expectations that you could have for me, I gave myself three, so I thought, this week, it's your turn. So I'm going to give you three expectations that I have for all of you. So that'll be really fun. I know you're all excited. I know you've been dying all week. Like, man, what are these expectations? I got to get my list together. So that's what we're going to be talking about um, this morning. And if any of you are overachievers out there and you're like, three, that's it? Find me after service. I'd be happy to give you more. We can, I can always give you more. So like we uh, read in our, in our passage this morning from 1 Peter chapters 2 and 3, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about what Peter has to say to those churches. And he wrote his letters to a group of churches in Asia Minor in the first century that were particularly struggling with persecution, and persecution and hostility in a way they hadn't had before. And so they don't really know what what to do about that they don't know how to handle it it's throwing them for a loop and they're trying to figure out like what do we do how do we handle this world that doesn't just dislike us or is confused by us that but that is really threatening their way of life and they just don't they just don't know what to do and so peter writes really to teach them well this is what you do when the world hates you like this is this is kind of how you handle it so that's kind of the the bigger picture context that we find these these few verses from this morning, but let me just go back to that first verse there in chapter 2, where Peter writes, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. that's, That's the first verse that he kicks us off with. And I want you, you know, for that idea of rid yourselves, I want you to, you, you know, do your best to remember several weeks ago, a couple months ago in the Colossian series when Rodney was preaching and he had his, he had some clothes up here, he had a clothing rack. And do you remember he got up, he had a mustard stained, I think it was mustard, mustard stained shirt and a ripped up suit. And he felt very uncomfortable with the big old stain. And And you were maybe came into church and wondered, oh no, what happened to Rodney? We need to like help this guy out, you know? And then he he changed clothes from these you know, ripped-up, mustard-stained clothes into a more appropriate shirt and a nice suit. And remember that idea of, like, rid yourself in Colossians is we've well, got to take off these old clothes. You've got to take off your old way of life, and you've got to put on a new one. And that's the same concept that Peter uses when he uses that word, rid. It's that same idea. You've got to take off this old stuff, and you've got to put on something different. So I've been trying to break a bad habit, all right? And this habit started back when I was in college, and it has just been tough to beat. So here's my habit, all right? I would get up every morning, and I would start looking at my phone, and I would just scroll and scroll and scroll. and, and, And before I knew it, you know, when I would get up in the morning with plenty of time to get ready and go somewhere, Suddenly, the time would just seem to slip away, and before I knew it, I, instead of having plenty of time to get ready, I was supposed to be somewhere 15 minutes ago. and like, oh no, I am late. And this habit started innocently enough. When I was in my college dorm room, I had an alarm clock, and it broke. So I just thought, ah, eh, it's fine. I'm in college, I have basically no money. I'm just gonna use the alarm on my phone. Plus, I can play music instead of some really loud, annoying blaring noise or whatever. So I just used my phone as my alarm. And of course, when I picked up my phone to turn the alarm off, there was a notification or a text message. So I checked that real quick. But then slowly I was like, well, while I'm here, I might as well check the weather because I used to live in Joplin, Missouri. And in Missouri, you can experience all four seasons in the same day in any given order. So I've got I've to check, like, do I need to dress for winter first or summer? Are we going to have summer, spring, summer, fall, winter? Like, what's happening? So I would just check the weather. And then that slowly turned into, well, I might as well scroll through Instagram for a little while or check the news or do this or do that. And it, not a good thing. So I was like, I've got to get this under control. So I pulled together some friends. I did a lot of heavy research, strategic planning, and I came up with a solution that was cleared by a series of medical doctors, two counselors, and five friends. Are you ready for this great? I came up with this great solution. Are you ready for it? Here it is. I bought a new alarm clock. (laughs) I know, you're impressed. So I got a new alarm clock, I hooked it up, I left my phone in another room, made the problem a whole lot easier because now I have to get up and turn off an alarm clock. I don't get to wake up to rock music, but that's fine. I turn off my alarm clock, and then if I want to get my phone, it's in another room. So by the time I get to my phone, it's like, well, I'm up, might as well start the day, I'm already in the kitchen, here we go. So that was my great solution. But here's what here's what I learned from that is if you really want to get rid of something, like, you really have to get rid of it. Like you've really got to like remove it from the situation. And probably for some of us these words that Peter lists in this first this first verse, uh, some of them maybe you really haven't gotten rid of it. Like it's it's in the basement in a box just in case or you keep it under the bed because no one's going to look under the bed you haven't vacuumed under there in years it'll be fine no one's ever going to find out malice is down there but it's there just in case just in case you need it just in case somebody makes you mad but what peter's saying is not relocated he's saying like no you got to get rid of the thing like destroy it burn it throw it out you can't just store it somewhere hoping you'll need it again someday so with that first verse that verse is where my first expectation for you comes from and that expectation is i expect you to get rid of what destroys to get rid of what destroys because i think we could all probably agree you probably wouldn't want to be described using these words in verse one you probably wouldn't want your family to be described that way or your workplace or your team or this church you wouldn't want to be a part of anything that people say oh yeah that place they slander they they have malice like you wouldn't you wouldn't want that now some of those words you probably don't use those very often right like i would be surprised if any of you within the past couple of weeks have said to somebody i just have so much malice for you right now and i don't know what to do about it so you probably you know so i thought okay let me, let me break these words down. let's just explain them a little bit so we know what peter's talking about so malice is a hateful feeling probably most of us would understand that it's a hateful feeling that you have, but it usually means not just that you, you hate them, but you want to hurt them, right? It's like that feeling of, I, not just I'm mad at you, but I, I hate you so much I wish I could punch you in the face or whatever it is. I wish I could slash your tires or whatever whatever you would want to do. And hopefully you don't go through with, with that desire, right? Hopefully you, you, you hold back, have some self-control, but that's, that's malice. Malice is not a great thing. Uh, deceit. We might think deceit maybe is lying, but it's even more than lying. It's intentionally tricking somebody. It's like you've got something over here that's hidden, you don't want anyone to know about it, and you actually are kind of coming up with a plan to trick people so they won't ever know about it, right? It's not just a, a little white lie to get out of trouble, it's I've got a whole strategy in place to make sure no one knows about this, ever. It's a huge cover-up plan. Hypocrisy, we may be a little more familiar with that because maybe you've You've heard a sermon or heard somebody say that, you know, when you follow Jesus, you're kind of, you're just kind of automatically become a hypocrite because we say we follow a perfect guy and he gives us all these things to live up to and we all mess up. And so it's like, well, we're all kind of hypocrites. That's not what Peter is saying. He's using hypocrisy as in you're intentionally pretending to be somebody you're not. So you're pretending to be, you know, more spiritual than you are or to be more perfect or to have everything together. And the truth is you don't. And then he goes on to envy. That one we're probably more familiar with, which is just simply, you want what somebody else has, and you really want to try to do what you can to get it. And slander is speaking badly about someone, not just a little bit of gossip or a little talk behind their back, but saying things to hurt and damage their reputation or attack them as a person. And we know, unfortunately, we know this way too well because every election cycle, what are all the political ads doing? Slandering the other person because they don't want you to vote for them. And if you really need an example of slander, you can probably catch this any day of the week on Fox News, CNN, or MSNBC because that's what they kind of do. They've got somebody that they're just, they're slandering, they're attacking, they're throwing under the bus, and sometimes unfairly even at that. And Paul uses these words really because they are a threat to Christian community, right? I mean, think about these things. They just destroy, they tear down, they break apart. I mean, think about think about malice with me just for a minute. Now, if you remember in the Gospels, Jesus said that even if you if you're angry with your brother, you've committed murder. Like he, he takes that to a whole nother level. But th- think about malice. Like if you're really that angry or hateful towards somebody, how do you think you're going to act towards them? Just think about that. Maybe it's like you're gonna see them and you avoid them. Like you're at Kroger, you see them, I'm gonna go down the next aisle, right? I'm gonna avoid you. Or if I have to talk to you, if, if that person were to come up and say, hey, how's it going? Fine. What are you doing? Nothing. See you later. And you're like, you're gone. You know, you're not gonna to want to work with them. You're not gonna to want to spend time with them. You're gonna do whatever it takes to avoid them. Which in a way is a little bit like, I mean, Jesus raised the bar pretty high, but think about it. You pretty much, that hate makes you act like that person's really dead to you. Like, I'm going to ignore you. I'm going to stay clear of you. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to help you out. That's what malice does. And if you think about deceit and hypocrisy, that just means I don't want you to ever know who I really am. I'm going to hide that from you. I'm not going to be honest. I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm not going to be authentic. I'm not even going to share the the important parts of my life or the hard things in my life. Even few close friends. I'm just going to hide everything and never let you know what's really going on. Which might sound nice in theory, because it's like, I'm never going to have to be embarrassed. Somebody maybe reject me because I'm, I'm doing something they're not proud of or they don't appreciate. But the truth is, that's a lot of work. It's just a lot of work to keep up keep up an illusion that you're better than you are or that things are are going really fine when they're really not. Because maybe what you really need to do is just tell somebody, that you're stressed and you're drowning in stress and you don't know what to do or your family's falling apart and you need help or work is just, you're not sure about your job and and you need some people to come around and encourage and pray. And here's the thing about these, these characteristics in this first verse is they come right out of Satan's toolbox. Because Jesus, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that he's come to give life so that we can have to the full. But he says Satan's come like a thief to kill, steal, And destroy and those words that's what they do they kill they steal and destroy and unfortunately some of us maybe have been have been tricked or convinced that those tools are worth using sometimes to protect us or to get back at somebody else and those are just the tools we don't need to be using so peter says you got to get rid of them throw them out don't use them don't ever come to them again so here's a really fun brainstorm exercise that if you've never tried it before you should give this a shot, all right? And it's called Kill the Company. I know that just sounds really fun. Kill the Company. And if you haven't done this before, here's how it works. You get together with maybe, maybe your coworkers or a team or whatever. You get together with a few people, and you just have like a brainstorming session. And you ask the question, if our competition wanted to knock us out, what would they need to do? And it usually starts off pretty innocently enough, pretty, pretty top surface stuff like, well, if they had better prices than us, or better customer service, or if they, you know, offered this service, we'd be in real trouble. And at first, like, okay, that's all thats all good. But then eventually, people start to hit things that maybe are a little too close to home. Like, well, man, if our website wasn't much better, people couldn't find answers, and they'd be confused, or, oh, my goodness, if if our customers ever found out how we talk in the office, we'd lose some business. Or if that ever got out, that'd be a PR nightmare, and someone's going to go, oh, I didn't think you'd bring that up, but okay. And you just kind of keep going and you list and you come up with all the things that would just ruin you, destroy you. And then the plan is, of course, to figure out, okay, how do we not do that? How do we protect ourselves from that? But you can, you can do that, you know, with anything. You can do it with your family. You can get with your family around dinner and maybe brainstorm and say, all right, what would, like, if somebody wanted to destroy our family, what would they need to do? And how do we make sure that doesn't happen? And you can do this with your sports team. Like, well, you know, hey, we got the game coming up. What would that team need to do to, to, to beat us? Well, if they play this kind of coverage and defense, I don't know if we could beat it. Or if their offense did this, we'd be in trouble, right? And you can even do this for the church. You can even think if Satan wanted to stop our church, what would he try to do? And you can just list ideas. And it makes you aware of his strategies. And I bet these five words at some point, they're gonna come up. Like yeah, Satan would do things like that. He would tear us apart. He would drive a wedge between us. He would make it hard for us to love each other, forgive each other, have humility, work together. That's what he would do. So that's a, an ex, an exercise. You may even want to try that sometime over the next couple of weeks and just and just see what you come up with because I think it helps you be aware of what's going on. So let's head to this the next couple of verses there in 1st Peter chapter 2. Here's what Peter writes next. He says, like newborn babies, Crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And he uses he uses that metaphor, not to say you're all a bunch of babies, grow up, you know. He's not he's not saying that. But he's saying, just like a baby, when they're hungry, they're gonna let you know and they're not gonna stop. And they're gonna cry and they're gonna cry and they're gonna cry until they get fed. Right? He Peter's saying he wants you to have that kind of drive and focus. For when you need something from the Lord, you're going to go after it, and only that. Because back in Peter's day, they didn't have formula. You know, not anybody could feed the baby. The baby was totally reliant on mom for food. And my guess is probably a lot of us, we've been looking for formula when what we really need is that pure spiritual milk. We've been looking for something else to satisfy us or fulfill us that isn't ultimately going to do it when what we really need is God. And so Peter says, hey, these five things, you got to get rid of them. And instead, turn your way to the Lord. So that's my first expectation for you to get rid of what destroys. But here's where my next expectation for you comes from. And that's in 1 Peter chapter 3, like we read just a little bit ago. Where Peter says there in verse 8, look at that. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be, comp- be, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you are called, so that you may inherit a blessing. So in chapter 2, Peter gives us five things to get rid of, and in this chapter, he gives us five things to be. So here's things to throw away, and here's five things to actually replace them with. Which I think a lot of times if we're going to get rid of something, it helps if you can like replace it with something else. You've got something ready to take the place of it. So Peter gives us these things that actually they build up. Christian community. So my second expectation for you is I expect you to put on what gives life. So if you're going to get rid of what destroys, you got to put on what's going to give life. And that's what these five things, I think, do. They build up. We would much rather be described by this kind of a list than the first list. Now, some of you will remember Reggie Jackson. Now, Reggie Jackson was a major league baseball player, and he ended his career with the Baltimore orioles and earl weaver was the manager for the orioles at the time that, that reggie was playing and earl had this one specific rule he said you cannot steal a base unless you get the sign from the dugout now during one game reggie jackson he was on first base and he started to take his lead off a little bit and as soon as that pitch left the pitcher's hand he took off sprinting for second And he slid in, and he barely made it to base before the tag came in. He was barely safe. And he got up, and he brushed some of that dirt off of him, and he looked at the dugout towards Earl Weaver and gave him this this kind of this sly, proud glare because he had never been given a signal to steal. And as the the game progressed, and the Orioles ended up losing that particular ball game. And after the game, Earl and said, hey, Reggie, I need, to, I need to talk to you. Let me tell you why I didn't give you the signal to steal that base. said, so we stole second base. Our next batter up was a power hitter named Lee May. But because first base was wide open, they intentionally walked Lee May to put him on first. Our next batter up was struggling against this particular pitcher. So with him up, I had to put in a pinch hitter to help cover for him. Because... At that left us with insufficient strength on our bench in case the game went into extra innings, which it did. And he said, I think, Reggie, we lost the game because you stole second base. Ouch, to tell a guy with all that pride. But do you see the difference? Reggie wanted to steal second base, Earl wanted to win the ball game. And that's what Paul's talking about with this this like-mindedness. It doesn't mean we're always going to agree and have, you know, we're just going to totally all have the same idea. It means sometimes you're going to have to be willing to set your preference or your idea to the side and defer to somebody else in humility. It means sometimes you may really want to do something or think your way is the better way, but you go, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to trust what's going on. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to, I'm going to go this way instead. Because in your perspective, you may think this is the right way. But in God's perspective from the dugout, he may say, We don't need to do that right now. There's something else in mind. And I think a church that does these five things, it can be these things that Peter gives us like minded, sympathetic, loving one another, showing compassion, and having humility, I think those are attitudes that make it really easy to follow God's mission. It makes you much more receptive to what the Holy Spirit's getting ready to do and what the Holy Spirit's doing through everyone in the church. And you can you can move, it's a lot easier when you're humble and willing to say, okay. Imagine how that game might have played out if Reggie's on first and he really wants to steal second, but he keeps looking at the dugout, he doesn't get the signal, he doesn't get the signal, he doesn't get the signal, and maybe inside he's mad, he's frustrated, he wants to, but he stays on first. And maybe because of that, Lee May steps up and maybe he hits a home run or he gets a great hit far out into the outfield and they're able to bring a couple, couple runs and they go on to win the game instead of going into extra innings. And maybe they would have then won that game, all because he just would have, and maybe he would have been frustrated. He would have come back and said, Earl, why didn't you let me steal? And Earl would have said, well, I had a plan and it worked out. So that may be our case, is at times there may be something we really want to do. And we look to God and we look to the Holy Spirit and we don't get the signal and we think, oh, come on, I want to do this. Let's just do it. And God's like, no, 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 trust, trust my plan, trust my mission. And sometimes that's what It takes. And here's my third and final expectation for you that I'm going to give you this morning. And where I get it from is Psalm 34. Because in both of our passages this morning, Peter is actually quoting Psalm 34. He does it at the end of chapter two, what, what we read this morning, when he says that you've tasted that the Lord is good. That's from Psalm 34. And then that longer quote in chapter three is all from Psalm 34. So my third expectation for you is I expect that you will model that the Lord is good. And here's, let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. If you remember last week, I talked about um, how I'm gonna guard my life and doctrine closely because what you believe and how you live are very closely connected. And here's the thing, that's the same thing with showing that the Lord is good. Because for example, let's just say, you don't really believe God cares. Let me just throw that out. Like, I'm just not sure if God cares and pays attention to us then in your life, you might not really want to pray very much because you're like, well, what's the point? If he's not listening, if he doesn't care, does it make a difference? But if you believe God cares and he listens and even that he wants to give good gifts, then you might want to pray more or you might be inclined to ask for things that they can, well, if God wants to give good gifts, I might as well ask for them. And that's just one way that it makes a difference. But I want to give you a little exercise that you could do this week to help you figure out where might be some breakdowns between the Lord being good and the way you show that, between what you believe and what you do? So all you have to do is you get out a piece of paper and you ask yourself, you, you think of anything that you say, okay, what's something that I wish I was doing or I wish I could stop doing or I wish I was doing more of? Just pick some kind of action that you're, of, of some kind and write that at the top of that piece of paper and then ask yourself, the question, okay, why do I do that? And draw an arrow and write your answer. And then you might have to ask yourself that question again and again and again. So I brought an example that you can see. So if, for example, it's, I worry about money. Well, why do I worry about money? And you just kind of start to write out different reasons. So maybe it's, well, I'm scared I won't have enough money. Well, why am I scared I won't have enough money? Maybe it's because, well, I don't want to go without. Well, why, don't, why am I scared of going without? Well, because I want to be safe and secure. Now, and you could keep going, but at some point, you're probably going to realize, oh, there's something about God that actually meets that issue that I have. So you might at that point remember or realize that God promises to be our safety and our security. Okay, so then you have to, you know, at some point, you write yourself that reminder. And you say, well, what is it that God says about this thing I have, this struggle that I'm having? So you might write, well, God promises to take care of me and provide for me. And you write that down. And then you've got to do the hard work of taking that belief in God and saying, okay, how can I connect that back to my worry about money? So maybe it's, you know what, I'm going to read through scripture and I'm going to find verses where God talks about how he's going to provide or take care of me. Take care of me. And I'm going to put those around my house or I'm going to memorize some. Maybe it's, I'm going to ask a few friends to pray for me about my worry, or I'm going to share that with a group of people. And you just find different ways to kind of get back and model that because here's what I really believe. I believe that a church that can get rid of those things in that list that Peter gave us in chapter 2, and he could have probably put a lot more. He just picked five. And a church that can be what he gives in, the, in chapter 3, and a church that can then show people, no, the Lord really is good. Because you might, for example, to stay with worrying about money, if you worry about money, that could actually change? Because if instead of trying to be like hypocritical or deceitful, what if you're just honest with people? Like, yeah, I I struggle with worrying about money. It's really tough. But let me tell you what, God promises he's going to take care of me and I know he's good. And here's some ways that I've seen him take care of me. Even though it's still hard, I'm going to keep fighting to trust him. That's a little bit of a different story all of a sudden. Man, how do I share my faith? That's a great way to share your faith. Just say, here's something I've been struggling with. Here's something I know I need to do better at. But here's how God's meeting me in it. Here's how he's helping me. Because that's always helpful for other people. Because I bet you other people struggle with the same things you do. And they might go, huh. And you're saying that your God's going to help you with that. Okay. And, and they might log that away and think about that. So again, these are my three expectations for you. To get rid of what destroys, to put on what gives life, and to model that the Lord is good. Because I think if we can do that, I really believe that we're going to be able to stand stronger against the schemes of the enemy. I believe it's going to help us to work together even better to follow where the Holy Spirit is going to lead this church next. And that might not always be easy. It might be tough. But I believe it's worth doing because of what Peter calls us to. He says, Because you're doing this because it's, it's a blessing. You're called to be a blessing to others. And that allows us to open ourselves up to the incredible plans that God has for us. Because who knows what he's going to do? Who knows what he sees from the dugout and his plan is? But we're willing to wait for the signal and go where he's telling us to go. Will you pray with me? I thank you so very much for the gift of your son, Jesus. And I thank you for the encouraging words of Peter. And I just ask, Father, that you would help all of us to be able to dig through the things that we need to get rid of and put away and help us to put on the things that are gonna give life. And God, in those moments when it's, it's we've got our idea, we've got our plan and we wanna go with it, help us to be extra aware of your spirit and what you want us to do. Because it's your church and we wanna be able to follow your lead. So Jesus, we love you and we ask for your guidance and your wisdom. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Each week we gather for worship on the corner of Broadway and Lebanon Avenue, and we're honored to have you listening in. If you'd like to learn more about joining us in person, you can find out details at campbellsvillechristianchurch.com or on Facebook or Instagram.